term that we it's thrown around a lot. You know, we'll say, well, you're just a hypocrite, or we might, we might, we might throw that term around. But I want us to understand what it really is and, and, the, and, the, and the importance of it and the significance of it and how it hurts so many people and how we can avoid hurting people through hypocrisy. Okay, so Matthew chapter 7 verses 1 through 5 will be the scripture today if you want to go ahead and, and turn there. Um, uh, but we'll have the scripture up here on the screen if you want to follow along there. But I'm so thankful that we, we talked about being hurt, you know, and we talked about those things. But I'm thankful that even no matter how badly we've been hurt, that we can find healing, we can find love, we can find that, that, that step to move forward. We can find help for that in Christ Jesus, our Lord and Savior. And I pray that through these couple of sermons that we spoke about, and that you will recognize that, that you will look at your life, that you will evaluate your life. And, and I pray that it's spoken to two groups of people, those that have been hurt and those that have done the hurting, right? And I pray that those that have been hurt recognize that they can move on from that. They don't have to hold it against that person, that group, that family, whatever it may be. That you, you can move on from that. And those that have done the hurt, and I pray that you recognize that as well, and, and that you, you seek forgiveness for what you've done. Because that's what the Scripture and what God has commanded us and desires for us to do is to seek forgiveness when we have have hurt somebody. So I pray that, that we recognize that. And if, if you don't fall into two those two groups, which I, there's nary a person I've ever met that doesn't fall into one of those two groups, I pray that you recognize that you don't want to be in, in either of those groups and that you try to, to do what you can to, to keep from hurting somebody and just be mindful of the relationships that you hold as well. Amen. But we'll read here Matthew chapter 7, verses 1 through 5. Judge not that you be not judged. For with, ju- for with what judgment you judge, you will be judged. And with the measure you use, it will be measured back to you. And why do you look at the speck in your brother's eye, but do not consider the plank in your own eye? Or how can you say to your brother, let me remove the speck from your eye, and look, a plank is in your own eye? Hypocrite. First remove the plank from your own eye, and then you will see clearly to remove the speck from your brother's eye. Matthew 7, 1 through 5. Man, but let's talk about what is hypocrisy, right? Hypocrisy comes from the Greek word that translates literally into interpreter from underneath. Interpreter from underneath. That's a weird phrase. It's something we don't use, we don't talk about. So let me kind of expand on it a little bit, okay? Ancient Greece is where we get this word from. In ancient Greece, theaters and, and, and the arts was, was highly valued. They loved that kind of stuff, right? It was important to them. It was part of their religion. It was part of their daily life. It was how they get enjoyment. They didn't turn on Disney Plus or Hulu or, or Netflix or whatever we do today. They couldn't even really pull up a book because it was stone tablets and papyrus and all that stuff. They didn't have access to that. So they would go to play. These theater productions and these great amphitheaters that they would build and that hold thousands and everything. And they would have these, these um, the performers down in the States to, to do these plays. And at this time, uh, they would use these big, colorful, vibrant masks to portray and to signify who it was that that actor was playing in that play. What role they had, who they were, whatever it was, right? We've all, probably all of us have been in a Christmas play or seen some play or something like that. So we understand that idea. But then they used the mask to help identify as a costume, as a part of the costume. But these actors is where we get the term that came that became hypocrisy because they would act from behind the mask to interpret what the play was what was written in the play right so they were interpreters from underneath the mask so basically what we get to is hypocrisy is a term 
that we can use for somebody that is acting, that is pretending, that is portraying something that is false or untrue, or doesn't match up with reality. Okay? So that's what it means. Interpreter from underneath, they are behind a mask interpreting something that is not reality. And I think we can we can all say that, that aligns pretty much with what we think of as hypocrisy. It's somebody who does something or acts in a certain way or portrays himself in a certain way that just doesn't align with the reality that you know or that you find out about them later on in your life, right? We've seen hypocrisy. In, in grade school, middle school, and high school, I mean, every movie about high school is basically a movie about hypocrisy, right? They say you, they're your friend, then they're not your friend. They, they end, they're out, your frenemies, whatever, like that. You go to work, you deal with hypocrisy. The boss tells you one thing, and they tell the, somebody else another thing, and you don't know what's true. You deal with hypocrisy. Maybe you even have hypocrisy in your own household, that, that mom and daddy would act one way outside, but in home, maybe you, you had your abused. Maybe you were treated in a way that, that you, don't, you shouldn't have been treated and things. But outside, everybody thought everything was hunky-dory and fine. And that's that definition of hypocrisy. It's portraying something that you know is not the reality of the situation. And we've all, no doubt, seen hypocrisy in our you know, churches, in church society. And though on the face value portraying something that's not real, might not seem too significant. Kids do it all the time. They play pretend. Harper loves to act like she's a cat, right? That doesn't mean she's a cat, but she likes to play like she's a cat. She gets down the floor, crawls around, meows and everything, and she wants us to get down there and play and meow and everything. That doesn't mean I'm a cat. But I'm playing, I'm pretending, right? You know, it's fun in the moment. So it might not seem too harmful to portray something that is not real, but it is very significant and it can be very dangerous. Let's talk about the danger of hypocrisy. The danger of hypocrisy. If you asked 100 people out in the world, the secular world today, to give one word to define the church, to define religion in general, or to define Christianity, more often than not, a good portion of that would say hypocrite, hypocrisy, fraud, not true, false. All those things to, to signify that they don't believe what's coming out of our doors because of what they've seen in the real world aspect, Right? And that's the honest and honest truth. And you might say, well, I wouldn't say that about church, but, but yeah, you might not. But if you were outside and, and you were going through certain things and you saw certain things that come out of the churches today, you might not think that they were as honest or upfront or as truthful or as good as those that are inside hopefully think they is, right? That's hypocrisy. And that's a sad reality, though, that we, that we deal with, that, that the world oftentimes looks at us as fake. Because the world wants authentic and real in a lot of ways. You look at, you know, either if you're an older person or you're new age or whatnot, a big thing is organic food, right? You want real food that's not got all these preservatives on it, that's not got all these chemicals that have been put on it. You want real organic food. Maybe you're, you're an older person, you were out there and you were butchering the cow and the chicken. You twisted its head and you threw it over there under a bucket and just let it wriggle around for a little bit and then you cooked it up for dinner. Maybe you're new age and you don't like all those chemicals they pump into that stuff because it's giving you hormones you're not supposed to have or whatnot. You're one side or the other, but you want something real. We want something real. And a lot of people look at the church and they don't think it's it's authentic or real. They see faults in it and they see hypocrisy in it. And the reality is, is that that's what the church puts out a lot of times. It won't take long for us to be able to think about and come up with a name or a list of names of church leaders in our society that have been exposed as hypocrites. 
that have stolen funds from churches, that have done things in a perverse and sexual manner that they shouldn't have done, that have had relationships with women that they shouldn't have had, that have, that have said one thing from pulpit and lived a different life outside the pulpit in secret and in hiding, and then it comes out in the world and says, I told you. They're just a bunch of hypocrites. I told you the church was, was full of hypocrisy. That it wasn't what it said it was. That there was something fishy about it. I knew maybe there was something off about it about that man, about those those people. That's the danger that hypocrisy hypocrisy brings. But a lot of times we in church, even though we might not be that place, you know, we might not be stealing funds from church, we may not be, you know, having, you know, improper relationships with certain people or doing certain things that we shouldn't be doing, but we still can fall into this place of being a hypocrite within the church. Because a lot of times we like to cover ourselves with religion. We oftentimes think religion and Christianity are interchangeable. Religion and being discipled are interchangeable, but they're not. They're two very different things. Religion is a, is a set of structures and rules and traditions that we follow. And it has a lot of good parts of it. I'm not saying it's not, but that's what religion is. Christianity and a relationship with Christ, being a disciple of Christ, is different. It is a relationship. It is relational. It's not just a structure of rules. It is like having a spouse. It's like having a friend. It's like having that person that you're close with. So it's very different. But a lot of times we like to cover ourselves with, with religion. We like to, to say the nice things. There's a lot of religious phrases. You go to McDonald's and somebody says, you have a blessed day. We think, oh, they're a Christian. Don't we? Don't we? We all do it. They say, you have a blessed day. God bless you. And we think, oh, they're going to heaven. I'm going to worship with them. That's what we think. That's what crosses our mind because you have a blessed day is a phrase, is a cliche phrase, that's what it's become, that signifies some level of religion, some relationship with Christianity. And we think that just means that's a good person. That's a great person. You have a blessed day, Lonnie. You have a blessed day, Gilbert. You have a blessed day. But it doesn't signify a relationship with Christ. We have these phrases. We do these things. We have we have stickers and we wear the nice clothes. I got a T-shirt that has the a cross on it and says all nice things. And you might go and somebody see somebody out in the store and it's, oh they got a they've got a shirt from this church. They've got a shirt from this, but they just got it at the thrift store because it was cheap and it fit them. But we see these things. We see these things in our life. We have these things in our life that we that we these layers of religion that we put on to make ourselves look holy, make ourselves look good. We say the right things. We wear the right things. We do the right things. We have the sticker on our. our on our bumper, you know, we are the what, what would Jesus do bracelets back in the end, 90s and early 2000s. We do those things, right? But those things aren't always signs of what's actually there, okay? So, this is the RMS or RSM, I forget. Um, this is the Queen Mary, okay? Largest ship that sailed the, the sea between North America and England. During, started in 1936, about for four decades. It was a massive ship. They retired it um, in the 80s, sometime around then, um, and they took it to Long Beach, California. And um, they were going to set it up as a big ho- a hotel and a museum because it had a, a, a significant role. It went through a world war. It traveled the seas during that stuff. It wasn't destroyed. It did a lot of good things. Had millions of passengers across the Atlantic. Great, cool stories and stuff. And they took it in. And they took down the, uh, the smokestacks. You see these? They took them down and they were going to kind of strip the paint off of them, repaint them. They are going to make it all look nice and pretty. But they got it on the dock and they just crumbled away. Because what they realized is that the, the about inch thick steel plate that it had been made of over those years on the salty water had, had totally rusted. And that the only thing that was really there was 30 some layers of paint. 
Then as they begin to strip the pain away, it just began to fall apart because that's what was holding it together. There was nothing of substance actually there. And there's a lot of so-called Christians or churchgoers or, or people that think they're Christians or people that maybe are Christians, just very immature young Christians, that they've got a lot of layers. But once you begin to strip those layers away, there's, there's not much substance to who they say they are. If they took away, if you didn't go to church, I, I, I'm, I believe you should be in church every Sunday. That's my, I, that's my deal. It is. But if you weren't in church every Sunday, if you didn't have the Bible app on your phone, if you didn't have the nice sayings, if you never could say, Lord, have a blessed day again, if you could never listen to Christian music on the radio again, if you had to take all the bumper stickers off your car, what would be left of your Christianity? What would be left behind? If you strip all the layers, the surface layers away, what would be left? If I took every Christian Jesus t-shirt out of your closet, all the CDs out of your car, what would be left that signifies this person is a Christian? The reality is that many times those surface level things make up the backbone of what we think Christianity is and what our relationship with God is built on. But that's not what it should be built on. And the world sees that. The world sees that. And they recognize that. And they're pretty good at picking those things out. I mean, the enemy will make it clear and evident as, as daylight to anybody that looks and begins to question and begins to prod. And they'll find that not too long, some people that follow Christ, some people that are in the church, they crumble in, when they're scrutinized and inspected on their Christianity and relationship with Christ. And their hypocrisy is re- revealed. That might sound sound upsetting. And that might sound harsh, but I mean look at the reality of the world around us and and the history of the church over the past hundred years and and you'll see that. You'll see that. That's the truth. You know, over generations the world has felt defrauded by the church, its leaders and its members. We portrayed one thing, said that we offer one thing, said that people could count on us, that they could trust us, that they could come to us, and we've defrauded them. In many ways and capacities, the church has. And they've said, well, they said that I, that I could find this there, find hope there, find help there, but they used me, they abused me, they took advantage of me, they wanted my money, they did things, that pastor just wanted this and that, those people just wanted this and that, and I didn't get what they said was there. They said Jesus would help me, but I never even found Jesus in their place of worship. And they look at this church as a fraud. And and that's sad. That's tragic in itself. But what makes it even worse is over time, that idea of the church becomes the idea of God. That if the church is a fraud, if all the men of God are frauds, if all the leaders are fraud, and all the members that that these people out in the world know are fraudulent and hypocrites, then God must be a fraud too. If everything they say about their life is false, then everything they say about God must be false too. The danger of hypocrisy. It's not just something that just affects you and just hurts you. It hurts any and all that you come in contact with when you live in hypocrisy. It's sad. And it's not going to be something that we can change overnight. And I'm not even sure it's something that we can change before God comes back. But we 
as followers of Christ. We as a new Canaan, we as members of this church, should desire to create a new reputation, a different reputation in the, in the society and the community that we are based in, that we are placed in. That we aren't frauds, we aren't false, we aren't hypocrites. We're broken people, we're messed up people, we're failures sometimes, but we don't claim to be anything else. We know who we are, but we are lovers of Christ. And we are followers of Christ. But there's a danger within hypocrisy. So how do we combat that danger? What you say you are. Don't misunderstand what I'm trying to communicate about hypocrisy. I'm not calling you to embrace or accept your more base and sinful nature and just if you're in sin, just say you're a sinner and live in sin and do that. That's not what I'm saying. This is a twofold challenge. We talked about how we like challenges. This is a twofold challenge. One, this is a call to strive to more effectively live out the commands, instructions, and desires of God that we already claim we do as Christians, but to do it more effectively. As Christians, if we claim to be Christians, that means we are like Christ, we are following His footsteps, so we already say that we're doing these things, so all we're challenging us to do is do it more effectively. For some of us, that means just do it some. Because some of us aren't doing it at all. That's the reality. For some of it, it means to do it more. Maybe you do it a little bit. You do it on Sundays, but that's all you do it on. Maybe you do it when you're around certain groups, but you don't do it around certain other groups. Do it more effectively. But two, communicate about our weaknesses, struggles, and failures more openly. I know growing up, especially as a preacher's kid, there's a stigma about preacher's kids. You're either a saint... And you're going to be a pastor yourself, or you're a sinner, and you're going to end up with 14 marriages and 20 baby mamas and on drugs. And I mean, that, that's the two choices I felt I had growing up. I mean, you know, Deacon's kids are a little bit better, but you know, not much. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know where that came from. I don't know. If, you know, I don't know. But that's just you know, kind of how it was portrayed. That people would say, "Are you going to be the good preacher's kid or the bad preacher's kid?" I don't know. I hope I turned out to be the good one. Um, but I know growing up as a preacher's kid. With that stigma and that idea in my mind, I, I felt unable to communicate about my weaknesses, to talk about what I struggled with, to talk about my sin. And that's a stigma that, that's not just preacher's kids, but most people that are raised in church have that mentality. That if I talk about what I'm struggling with, if I talk about my failures, if I talk about where I'll come short, I'll be judged. People will say that there's something wrong with me. People will question my relationship with God. People will, will say that, that I'm not saved. People, all kinds of things that were, that's ingrained within us because we were raised in church. That's another thing that church needs to kind of work on. you know. Um, but we do that. And if we want to, and that's what sets us up to be hypocrites. It really does. Because if we, don't, if we act like we're perfect, and the people see we're not perfect, well, they're going to say, you're not who you said you were. But if we embrace... <coughs> Verbally, like, hey, I'm failure. I'm a sinner. I come short. I do wrong. I'm a, I'm a, I'm a mess, and, and God is working on me, and He's using me, and He's making me better. But I'm never going to be perfect. I'm always going to come short. So when you see me come short, don't think that it's because I'm just trying to hide something. It's me. It's me. It's not God that's doing it. It's me. But that removes hypocrisy because it's not you trying to present something that you're not. You're presenting a broken, messed up, piece of society that's just being worked on by Jesus. So when you fail, that fits right in with who you've already said 
That you are, right? I went to Texas coming out of high school. Loved it, loved it. But when I went, I was like, okay, I had to be like a Texan. So I got a big cowboy hat before I left, right? And I got off the plane, and I thought, this is how you be a, a, a Texan. And then a- after several months there, you know, I, I ditched the cowboy hat after about a week or so. But when my friends said, you got off the plane with, uh, that I made friends with, one, they said, once you got off the plane with that Texas hat, he said, I didn't know they wore cowboy hats in, in Tennessee. He said, because they didn't do it there, and they didn't do it here. And, I, and so it just was like I was presenting something that I wasn't. But when I began to present myself as who I was, from Tennessee, with a weird accent and weird ideas and weird faults and all these things, then I could be who it was that God was making me to be. And as Christians, we need to be who we say we are. And if we say that we're broken, yeah, we're broken. If we say that we're, we fail, yeah, we fail. If we say that we come short, yeah, we come short. But let the world know that ahead of time. We talked a couple weeks ago about expectations. Go ahead. Hey, I'm a Christian and I'm going to mess up. <laughs> if you're around me for more than a couple of hours, you'll probably see me mess up. But I still love Jesus. And I still follow Jesus. And I don't like messing up. Make sure they understand that. I don't like messing up. I don't like coming short. But I still do what God wants me to. And I still try. And I still want to please Him. And I still want to show you that Jesus loves you too. And that is something that we can portray that we can fulfill. Right? But I was looking. Um, you know, the Bible talks about us being filled with the Holy Spirit. We talk about when we get saved. Those Baptists, we believe that we're imbued with the Holy Spirit once we receive Christ. And when we're saved, the Spirit, the Spirit of God comes and lives within us. Right? But do you know what filled means. We say, I'm filled with the Holy Spirit, I'm filled with God, whatever. But filled means to make full, to put as much as can be held into something. Alright? 1989, U.S. News and World Report did this study. And they said, have you checked the labels on your grocery store items lately? They said, what's been happening, and what's still happening, is that these boxes that whatever used to come in, the size are, is still the same. But what had 66 ounces in it a year ago now has 51 ounces in it. The box didn't change. The outside didn't change. So what was inside, there was less of it there. It wasn't full, right? How many times as Christians do we say we're filled with the Holy Ghost? Or that we're filled with God? Um, And we don't really understand what it means to be filled with something. Right? Okay. So, I brought chips in. Not to eat. If you want them afterwards, we might give them away. I don't know. We'll do a wrap. We've all talked about this, right? This bag of chips looks lovely, right? It looks full. I should open this, and there should be a chip just about to fall out of it, right? It's a full bag of chips. Never been opened. Never had anybody reach in. It's a full bag of chips. It's filled with chips. If you went and talked to Ruffles and said, is this bag filled with chips? They would say, it is filled with chips. That's what they would tell you. So let's see. Okay. Does he, I, I don't want anybody to be too surprised. Okay. We'll see. Okay. I'll clean up any that fall out from the overflow. Okay. Well, what do you know? They said it was filled I don't think that looks too filled, do you? Maybe half? 
If I like stack them up right, maybe half, it's not quite filled. We as Christians, if we're going to go around toting, we're filled with the Holy Ghost. And we're filled with the love of God. And we're filled beyond with all kinds of blessings and, and, and privileges and gifts from God. We need to act like we're filled, not half-filled. If we're just going to be half-filled Christians, just say, I'm a half-filled Christian. That's just reality. I'm half-filled with the Holy Ghost. I'm halfway filled with the love of God. Flip a quarter depends on what day you get me, if you get the filled side or if you get the empty side. It's just what you're going to have to figure out. But if we're going to be filled Christians, let's be filled Christians. Because if you say you're a filled Christian, and then somebody gets you on the bad day, and somebody gets you when you're not loving Jesus, and when you're not loving broken people, and when you're not talking about Jesus, then they're going to be like, well, where's that filled with the Holy Ghost kind of thing going on? Where's, where's that? They must just be a, a hypocrite. We need to be who we say we are. We need to be who we say we are. Yes, there will be times where we need to speak out against sin. We talked about judging. I get that. We don't want to be judgmental. But let us not do it in, but let us do it in love and while communicating that we too fail. Man, let's not pass judgment on somebody for doing something that we do as well. We just do a better job at hiding it. That's hypocrisy. And let us not be like what Christ describes in Matthew 23, verses 1 through 3. Read this scripture this morning, and, and it just, just, you know, one of those things I've probably read over a hundred times, and just really blew my mind this morning. Matthew 23, 1 through 3, he's talking to his disciples and those that are following. It says, And Jesus spoke to the multitudes and to his disciples, saying, The scribes, and the Pharisees sit in Moses' seat. They're religious leaders. They're the religious people. They're the ones that are supposed to be representing Christ, representing God at this time. Therefore, whatever they tell you to, to observe, that observe and do. He's saying they'll have good wisdom for you. Because they're following Scripture. They're following the Bible. Well, their Bible at that time, the Torah. They're following Moses' law. Do what they tell you to observe, but do not do according to their works. For they say, and do not do. My parents might have been the only one. But there's many times they said, do what I say, not what I do. I've been at work, and they've been training me. And they say, do what I say, but I've got to get this order out. Don't do what I do. I don't know. Do what I say, not what I do. As Christians, we'll share a sermon, or we'll share a testimony that somebody gave us, or we'll give a devotion, or hand somebody a book, and say, do what this says. You really can't trust what, I, what I'm doing. <laughs> don't, don't look at me. Don't ask me. Just do what this book says. Do what the Bible says. And yes, we should put the Bible above any other instruction, but we should be Christ to this earth. To the world around us. We should be the hands and feet of Jesus. We were left behind. And if we are filled with the Holy Ghost, then they should see the Holy Ghost within us. If we're filled with the Spirit of God, they should see the Spirit of God working in us. I don't want to be a church where they say, they've got good doctrine, or they got give good instruction, but don't pay attention to what their members do, because they'll lead you astray. 
And that's what he's saying to his disciples. They've got some good doctrine. And they've got some good lessons they can give. But if you'd follow them and what they're doing, they're just a bunch of hypocrites and they'll lead you astray. They'll hurt you. They'll do you wrong. They'll treat you badly. Something's going to happen. Feelings are going to get hurt. Somebody's going to leave. Somebody's going to walk away. Do what they say, but don't listen or don't follow what they do. And I don't want to be that pastor. I don't want us to be that church. I want us to be a church where they say, man, look at those people serving God. Look at those spirit-filled Christians, that spirit-filled church. Look at what they're doing for God. Because honestly, and it's true, we shouldn't have to tell somebody and convince somebody we're filled with the Spirit of God. We shouldn't have to convince somebody that we're a spirit-filled church. That should be evident by the lives that we live, the ministries that we have, the ways that we serve, and the ways that we treat people. That should be clear and evident. But we need to recognize that. People get hurt by the hypocrisy that was within churches. For pastors fail, and deacons fail, and leaders fail, and lay members fail, and sometimes the whole church as a, as a whole comes up short and fails. And if we present ourselves as perfect and holier than thou, that makes us hypocrites. But if we communicate very clearly, we're broken, we're messed up, we're trying to more effectively follow God each and every day, but it's still a work in progress. I'm still a work in progress. Our church is still a work in progress. And we communicate that with them. It makes us more relatable. And it also helps them realize they understand where they're at. And they're not trying to be something that they're not. They're broken. And they fail. And they come short. But they still love Jesus. They still love Jesus. That should be our motto. That should be what we live by. That should be how we... Hey, it should be how we introduce ourselves. I'm broken, and I'm messy. I've got a messy life, but I still love Jesus. I'm still growing, and I'm still trying. And I don't like to come short, but I still love Jesus. So you might think that's hypocritical of me, but I'm just going to be honest with you up front. And that's me as a pastor as well. I told you about my failures and struggles with pornography before in my life. We've talked about different stages where people. I'm, I've been. I've had seasons of being angry. Season of being depressed and anxious and not not caring about anything around me. You know? And I'm going to be honest about those things. And we can be honest about those things too with each other. Amen. But I'm thankful that. I pray that we're not like the Christians and the people that go to church that when you strip off all the surface levels, the surface level religion, that there's something left behind. That there's something substantial still there. That you don't, I don't have to, if I'm not able to go to church every Sunday, if I'm not able to have a Bible out all the time, if you're not always, if I don't always have, you know, a shirt on that says, Jesus loves me, this I know, you still know that I love Jesus and that there's something deeper there. Amen. I'm thankful.